0: Frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to Grown American forward slash John and order today.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door.
0: I'm so glad you're with us. A special hello to everyone listening on uh, SiriusXM On Demand, the SiriusXM app, the John Fuglesang podcast. Please remember, Chris Houseltz, our executive producer from the South Carolina Bureau. Thea Harper is our amazing associate producer from the Brooklyn Bureau. You can always write to us at our show's Facebook page, uh, Tell Me Everything on SiriusXM or at JohnFuglesang.com. We love to hear from you live. Uh, Even if you don't listen live, you can always call us at 866-997-GRIT, Monday through Friday. And we will also answer your questions on the air. But we have a special place in our heart for our evil army of the night. There's so much to get to, guys. Let's just dive right into it, shall we? So it was uh, last month. Michael Lewis had an operation on his back. He's 45 years old. He had back surgery on May 19th. They let him out of the hospital on May 24th. We're talking to you. On June the 2nd, Mr. Lewis went home, but the pain in his back persisted and he kept calling the doctor. Eventually, it became too much to bear. He had previously purchased a 40 caliber handgun from a pawn shop last Sunday, and he went to see the doctor on Tuesday. He didn't like what the doctor said. So when he couldn't find any relief for his back pain, he blamed the man who was trying to help him his doctor. He called to complain several times over several days. He called yesterday to Dr. Phillips' office. That would be Dr. Preston Phillips, the orthopedic surgeon, Harvard graduate, sits on many boards in Tulsa, an African-American success story. He kept complaining that he wasn't healing. So he wanted more assistance. He decided to go out and get what he thought was more assistance. He bought his handgun on Sunday at a pawn shop. But yesterday, that's Wednesday at 2 p.m., Michael Lewis went to buy an AR-15-style rifle from his local gun store. A complete background check, apparently done in minutes. No waiting period. It's Oklahoma. There is no waiting period to purchase a gun there. No waiting period like, I don't know, women would have to have before they terminate a pregnancy. No training Required when you buy a machine designed to kill lots of people really fast, no permit required, no ban on assault weapons, no sensible gun legislation, it's Oklahoma, the state that just passed the harshest abortion law in the nation. It's easier for a man to rape a woman and have the state force the woman to bear his child than it is for a woman to terminate the pregnancy in the first trimester, and it's easier for a man to kill many people to have a lot of retroactive abortions than it is for a woman to have control over her own body. It's illegal in Canada to have a gun that shoots more than five times without having to reload. It's kind of smart if you're a patriot, because when the guy stops, and it's always a guy, isn't it? When the guy stops to reload, someone can tackle him. But Mr. Lewis didn't have those concerns. He bought an AR-15 in the afternoon, and he brought that to the hospital along with the 40 caliber Smith & Wesson semi-automatic handgun he had just bought from the pawn shop on Sunday. Now, we know he bought the AR-15 around 2 p.m. yesterday. And in less than three hours, the first 911 call came in. 4.52 p.m. From a patient who was having a video visit with their doctor, who heard these shots over Zoom, and told the cops there was a shooting going on in the Natalie Medical Building near St. Francis Hospital. Police arrived on the scene four minutes later, uh, around uh, 4.58 p.m. Less than three hours after he bought the gun, he had fatally shot two orthopedists, a medical receptionist, a bystander, and then killed himself in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Less than three hours after he bought the gun, he had used it to kill Dr. Stephanie Hussein, Amanda Glenn, William Love, and Dr. Preston Phillips. ...who had done his surgery. There was a note on Mr. Lewis's body that made it clear he came into the hospital with the intent to kill Dr. Phillips and anyone who got in his way. He blamed Dr. Phillips for the ongoing pain following the surgery. And because he lives in this country, he was easily able to get a weapon of war as a civilian and use it to slaughter civilians in less than three hours. The Tulsa attack was the 233rd mass shooting in the U.S. this year. This year will only be halfway over July 1st. But this is according to data from the Gun Violence Archive. A mass shooting is any mass shooting where four or more people are shot or killed, not including the shooter. So today the Judiciary Committee had a hearing on gun control. Here's Congressman Jerry Nadler admonishing his GOP counterparts.
2: My friends, what the hell are you waiting for? You say that none of the solutions proposed here will stop gun violence in America? Well, there, sadly, I agree. This bill will not alone save every life we will lose to gun violence this year, but it will save some.
0: Right? I mean, that's it. Harm reduction. Is it worth it? Is it worth having a minor inconvenience over your entertainment if it saves one American life? That's the question, because <laughs> they don't care. Mr. Lewis was not a criminal. The guy in Uvalde, the 18-year-old, he was not a criminal. The 18-year-old in Buffalo was not a criminal. Steven Paddock, remember that name? He was the one in Vegas who shot 61 white people at a country music concert. He was not a criminal. They all bought their guns legally. That's the point. They all bought them legally, because this is a country that lets them do that. And they're all law-abiding gun owners until the day they're not. The last two weeks has shown us that we are not safe in grocery stores. We are not safe in hospitals. We're not safe at graduation ceremonies. We're not safe at a church in Orange County. We're not safe at a funeral. You hear about this one today? Multiple people shot at the funeral for 20-year-old Ashante King in Racine. Five people shot at a funeral. There has been 23 mass shootings that is at least four people shot or killed not counting the assailant 23 mass shootings in the 10 days since the Evaldi massacre guns are now the number one killer of children in this country more than cancer more than car accidents and did you see the New York Times today Glenn Thrush and Matt Richel had this piece that says six of the nine deadliest mass shootings in the US since 2018 were by people who were 21 or younger. Before 2000, most of these mass shootings were done by men in their mid-20s, 30s, or 40s. Now, oh, that wonderful age between 18 and 21. So much confusion, so much anguish, so many chances to destroy other lives. The Guns Over People Party finds this acceptable. That would be the GOP. It's fine with them. They are for the status quo. They're okay with Buffalo. They're okay with Aurora, Tulsa, Uvalde, the hundreds of other mass shootings committed by firearms that don't have a civilian purpose. These deaths are acceptable to Republicans. They don't want to do anything about mental health. They don't want red flag laws. Those wouldn't have prevented these anyway. And they really don't, by the way. They talk about that to make it look like they're doing something. They're just shuffling the shit around until we get distracted by another Johnny Depp case. Matt Gates, Thomas Massey, they were arguing today against red flag laws, saying that they violate the Second Amendment. So Louis Gohmert lost his mind today. Now, we're going to lose Louis Gohmert in a few months. So I say we enjoy the dumbest member of the House. Yeah, I'm saying it. With March. With I will stand... On Marjorie Taylor Greene's coffee table and say that Louis Gohmert is the dumbest member of the House. And the Democrats should do something smart to distract him, like bring a laser pointer into the Congress, keep him busy. But he blew up today saying Democrats are inferring Republican support shooters because they oppose common sense gun reform. Now, I just want to say I would never infer Republicans support shooters and have no heart. I would um, directly bloody well say it. Here is Louis Gomer via Zoom, shocked and appalled to learn that America has realized he's a complete soulless douchebag.
3: Implicit in murder, and that we put our right to kill over others' right to live to infer by rhetorical supposed questions, who are you here for? We must be here for the gunman is an outrage. How dare you? You think we don't have hearts? It's just that when we look at the things that you're doing and you're trying to do to America, we've seen the carnage I mean, for heaven's sake, let's, let's take example. Democrats control the major cities that have the worst there murder rates.
0: There it is.
3: That's right. Your ideas have been shown to get people killed. Are you here? For the Their murders, ideas Okay, that's enough. Thank you, Chris. Uh,
0: again, you guys, the guns that are used for crimes in New York are purchased in Virginia. The guns that are used for crimes in Chicago are purchased in Indiana. Democrats are the ones who are trying to make it harder for criminals to get guns. Republicans are the party that's making it easier for criminals to get guns, for mentally unstable people to get guns, and then blame it on Democrats. It's really simple. Y'all are welcome to fight me if you're a right-wing caller. We'd love to hear from you about the morality of this. Why don't we listen to Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon, who responded to Gohmert blaming the Dems for Philly's homicide rate by pointing out the Republican legislators in her state of Pennsylvania have blocked city leadership from having any sensible gun control measures. I give you the astounding Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon.
1: I wanted to respond to Mr. Gohmert's allegation that Philadelphia's homicide rate is the fault of Democratic leadership in that city. Apparently, he doesn't understand that the Commonwealth's Republican legislature for decades has blocked city leadership from passing the types of common-sense gun safety laws we are considering today. So to the broader question, like most Americans, I am sickened and sick to death of the gun carnage we experience in this country every single day. I will not sit idly by watching preventable tragedies play out over and over again, day after day, year after year. Whether the children and teachers slaughtered in Texas last week, the community members
0: murdered Buffalo and- the
1: week before, more than a dozen people gunned down in Philadelphia during the Memorial Day weekend. In and towns across the country, we are mourning too many people whose lives have been cut short including children whose lives had barely begun. We are not helpless here. We can change this. We can pass gun violence prevention laws that are constitutional and save lives.
0: She was amazing. And I'm sorry, I thought the clip was ending prematurely there. Um, In the midst of all this, we've kind of turned our eyes away from the worst police work we've ever seen. I mean, Uvalde, Texas, right? Like, we're already so distracted. No one's been fired from that police department hanging around for an hour while this 18-year-old picked off children with his AR-15 that he bought legally on his 18th birthday. No one has resigned. The chief of police in Uvalde was secretly sworn in as a member of the city council. He hasn't responded to the Texas Rangers for days. They've been asking him for a follow-up interview. Remember the press conference where Beto O'Rourke interrupted and they all called him a son of a bitch trying to politicize? That was the press conference where they were lying about the police response where they were putting out false statements where Governor Greg Abbott said the reality is it could have been much worse without law enforcement. Abbott said it could have been worse, but law enforcement officials did what they do. Well, then we found out, no, they didn't. They hung around. They wouldn't let parents run in there. They let these children be slaughtered for an hour. And Greg Abbott came out and said, oh, he was lied to and he's livid. Well, what, has it been a week that he's been livid? Has he fired anybody? No. Because they don't care, guys. No one's been fired. They tried to blame a teacher for leaving the door open. That was a lie. They said the door remained propped up. We now know there's videotape evidence showing that didn't happen. They didn't fire any of those police. Better was right. And by the way, I've said this before. I'm very sympathetic to cops who don't want to have to run into AR-15 fire. I care about police enough... Whether they're good cops or bad cops, I don't want good cops or bad cops to ever be facing someone armed with an AR-15. I'm more pro-life than Republicans. I'm more patriotic and care about Americans than Republicans. I'm more pro-police than Republicans because I don't want cops to get mowed down by weapons of war that were never intended for civilian use. Joe Biden gave a really good address tonight, which I imagine a couple of dozen people saw. Let's listen to a little bit
2: after Columbine, after Sandy Hook, after Charleston, after Orlando, after Las Vegas, after Parkland, nothing has been done. This time, that can't be true. This time, we we must actually do something. The issue we face is one of conscience and common sense. For so many of you at home, I want to be very clear. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about not about vilifying gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. I respect the culture and the tradition and the concerns of lawful gun owners. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. It was was Justice Scalia who wrote, and I quote, like most rights, the right Second Amendment by the the rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited, not unlimited, and never has been. There have always been limitations on what weapons you can own in America. For example, machine guns have been federally regulated for nearly 90 years, and this is still a free country. This isn't about taking to anyone's rights. It's about protecting children. It's about protecting families. It's about protecting whole communities. It's about protecting our freedoms to go to school, to a grocery store, to a church, without being shot and killed.
0: Now, again, remember, Twitter isn't real America. Okay? So ignore the trolls. And remember, everything Biden called for in his speech tonight is popular with the majority of voters, an assault weapons ban, which will never happen. But barring that, increasing the age to buy to 21, having expanded background checks. That's 90% of us. Safe storage requirements. Majority of people support this. Red flag laws. And my favorite thing he talked about, repealing the liability shield for the gun manufacturers. Give a listen to this part. This is key.
2: We should repeal the liability shield that often protects gun manufacturers from being sued for the death and destruction caused by their weapons. They're the only industry in this country that has that kind of immunity. Imagine, imagine if the tobacco industry had been immune from being sued where we'd be today. The gun industry's special protections are outrageous. It must end. More Americans
0: have died from guns in the last 45 years than have died in all the wars America has ever had since the revolution. I'll say that again. More Americans have died from guns just since the first Star Wars movie came out than have died in every American war combined. We have over 110 guns per person in this country, and they're trying to sell more. You gotta buy more. They make a killing after every killing. 137 school shootings so far this year. More children die from guns in this country every year than on-duty police. More children die from guns every year in this country than active-duty military die. And brothers and sisters, it's going to keep on happening. It's going to keep on happening we're going to make ourselves crazy with anguish and grief and outrage. Republicans are going to keep on finding more bullshit because all they've got to do is wait out the clock. Oh, it was the doors. Oh, it's the rap music. Oh, it's critical race theory. Oh, it's abortion. Oh, it's porn. We've heard all of that in the last 10 days. All they've got to do is keep saying it until the news cycle shifts and the outrage wears off. Because that's what they do. It works. They take the heat for a few days and they're willing to take the heat because they are so well-funded to stop any kind of progress. They are paid a lot of money to make sure this is still the only country where these atrocities happen on a regular basis. And it's going to keep on happening until one of two things happens. Number one, every Republican knows someone who gets shot and killed by a gun. Or number two, it's going to keep on happening until we elect more Democrats. That's it. Those are the only two options. We can wait for every Republican to have empathy enter their heart because someone they love has been mowed down by a weapon of war. Or we can elect more Democrats and, it's a two-parter, elect more Democrats and then kick their goddamn asses every day to make sure they do something. But we've learned, voting Democrat and kicking back for two to four years, nope, doesn't work.
1: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
0: We are all getting excited for the miniseries event of the summer. Next to Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course which, yes, it's it's really is that good. I'm shocked. No, it's the January 6th hearings, starting in prime time, moving the daytimes, closing in prime time. We know that it's going to be interesting because they're already reporting in Politico about how the Republicans are going to push back against it. They're bringing out the heavy hitters, and by heavy hitters, I mean the lightest lightweights possible. According to Politico, Trump and his inner circle are going to rely heavily on members of the House to drive the counter-programming and smear the January 6th uh, hearings. Namely, Kevin McCarthy, who Trump supporters hate, uh, Jim Jordan, who is a lunatic accessory to child rape, uh, Jim Banks, and of course, Lady Blah Blah, Elise Stefanik. That's probably going to be good for people in the bubble, but what should people who can spell the word "your" correctly and have IQs above room temperature expect from the January 6th hearings? I am so pleased to welcome back Our good friend, Professor Corey Bretschneider, who teaches political science in the Poli Sci Department at Brown, he has written great analysis of our politics for Politico, The New York Times, and Time. Get his book, The Oath in the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents. It is timeless and good for any, any decade. And his amazing Penguin Liberty series on free speech, impeachment, and his newest book on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. Professor Bretschneider, welcome back.
4: Thanks, John. Uh, looking forward to the conversation, as always.
0: Well, uh, I know one thing. With January 6th hearings finally coming to primetime, we should expect the Republicans to talk about baby formula shortage and gas prices and Hunter Biden an awful lot. Um, I know that. That's the only thing I know to expect. What are you looking for? What are you expecting to come out of these hearings?
4: Well, you know, I think we're getting another shot at this, that uh, the first impeachment was so important the issues so fundamental but we were lost in phrases like quid pro quo uh, americans just didn't get it in the way that they needed to uh, the impeachment after january 6th uh, crucial also uh, of course galvanized more interest but the information wasn't there it was done uh, out of necessity quickly now we have a third shot at, at the at, uh, at, at looking at this in the way that the American people need to look at it. Uh, to my mind, the, the real hope anyway is that this will galvanize the country in the way that Watergate did. Those hearings, hearing the details of what was going on when Nixon uh, was trying to cover up the crimes of Watergate, hearing about his involvement, hearing about the way he talked uh, uh, and and uh, the the sort of callousness, the racism, the anti-Semitism that was so much a part of his everyday speech, somehow galvanized the American people, where they saw at that moment what a danger both not just Nixon but the office of the presidency was. And you know, this to me, to us, I should say, and I think to many of uh, our listeners is probably the worst moment in american history when it comes to the fragility of the republic except for of course the civil war uh the whole thing almost collapsed the president of the united states the most powerful person in the country tried to collapse it and yet we moved on and you know joe biden has his reasons for not focusing on this but the american people don't have to take our cues from the president even if we voted for him we've got to demand accountability. And, and this is our moment. This is the chance to really do that. So, so my expectations are high. Um, of course, the Democrats could blow it. <laughs> I think they did blow yeah. that first impeachment. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, up to us to, to really lift those voices that are going to speak to the details of how dangerous that moment was on January 6th, when the president uh, seemed quite content to allow an insurrection. Uh, in the people's house.
0: Do you really think that the Democrats blew the first impeachment? I mean, I thought it was masterfully presented. I thought they were never going to get a conviction on it. They were never going to get Trump yeah. thrown out of office, but it was still the right thing to do to record for history that we sit up about it and, and put it in the record.
4: I think so. I mean, look, I think that we've got to uh, certainly I agreed with it and and, you know, with you was pushing for it to happen but i think we've also got to deal with the fact that it seemed abstract to people it seemed to be this far away thing um and didn't capture you know barely any republican votes um and didn't capture to my mind the kind of outrage i remember just talking to people who should have been allies and they were really asking what is quid pro quo what are the issues here and so partly i i don't know it might have been the complexity of the issue, but it struck me as uh, a moment where really we should have been pulling out all the guns uh, uh, about the wrongs that were happening., yeah. and one of the things that I was arguing then, and I think I'm vindicated in is the fact that they left out all of the the lawlessness and the obstruction of justice that was in part two of Mueller's report was really a mistake. I think they should have I been agree. showing not just this moment, but that this was a lawless president and i do think you know through i don't don't want to fault the democrats It's not like they morally did something it was more strategy but trump saw it as a green light uh the fact that he was as he saw it uh exonerated found not guilty found innocent he would often say and you know i think he started to think to himself wow this is the big check on my power impeachment it's meaningless and i can as he often said Do anything I want under Article two, which creates the presidency. And so I do think there was a clear line between, you know, our good attempt, certainly worth the effort, but failed attempt to really bring to the American people how dangerous this man was. uh, And and the sense that he had a green light to to keep going, which, you know, really he did on January 6th.
0: Now, the first hearing will be on June 9th in primetime. We will provide live coverage of it here on this show. Then there'll be morning hearings on the 13th, 15th, 16th, and 21st. And then the final hearing will also be primetime on June 23rd. William Barr, former Attorney General, was actually at the offices of the House January 6th Select Committee today, one week before the start of the public hearings. We don't know what that's about, but they do say that the first hearing in primetime on June 9th will involve House investigators doing sort of, Corey, what they did for the impeachment on opening night, giving a roadmap for what the other hearings will entail, all the broad ground they have to cover. And then they said they will present previously unseen material documenting January 6th. They will receive witness testimony. They will preview additional hearings and they will provide the American people with a summary of their findings. What are you going to be looking for and why do you think I mean, I mean, we don't have the tapes like Nixon. We don't actually have the tapes. We have the we have a lot of Mark Meadows texts, which will be entered into the record. But the Democrats really, really seem to think they have stuff that'll blow the roof off. What are you going to be looking for?
4: Well, one thing I think is that you know, one of some of the litigation was about the emails between uh, the president's advisor and lawyer John Eastman, who really was the architect, I think, of this yep. attempted coup and the president himself so what were they saying to each other to what extent was this just some theory that Eastman held that you could disrupt the process of certifying the electoral count and use that essentially for a self-coup and you know do it within his bogus theory of the constitution to what extent was that just some law professor uh you know shouting off and to what extent uh, did Trump believe it? And was he involved in it? I think that's one of the things that we're really looking for. We know that the people around him were pushing for this, and including many of the crazies like uh, Giuliani, uh, the MyPillow guy. Uh, but to what extent was Trump himself spouting this insanity? And uh, I think, you know, I hope that they've got, got the goods on this. Trump's not a careful person. Uh, maybe we have emails from him, uh, you know, urging this on. And, you know, he, he, as far as we've been told, was watching this, letting it happen, maybe cheering it from the sideline. But maybe there was more uh, involvement than that.
0: I mean, that's the real question, right? That's what, you know, Lordy, I hope there were tapes. I mean, you know, how right. will Trump's and, and this is not going to be like an impeachment hearing. There will not be Donald Trump's lawyers getting up and making his case. How will how will the defenders explain what Trump was doing for one hundred eighty seven minutes while his own staff and allies were begging him to act and do something as our capital faced a terrorist attack. I think timeline is going to figure really big. Um, also, we did get a bit of a preview this week on who one of the witnesses may be. And it's uh, a very prominent legal conservative, J. Michael Luddig, who's a former federal judge and lawyer. He's the guy who advised former Vice President Mike Pence. Pence relied on his advice when he issued a statement on January 6th saying he was not going to do what Trump had been telling him to do. And apparently he's now expected to testify, not Pence, but the guy who advised him uh, in the public hearings.
4: Yeah, Luddig is a you know respected um, legal thinker, uh, um, uh, prominent um, jurist. And, uh, you know, th- th- there might be the goods right there about the kind of pressure that Pence was getting from Trump, the kind of threats. I mean, we, you know, have seen little bits of reports here and there. Uh, one thing I saw uh, that looked credible to me suggested that he was sort of nodding along when uh, the phrase, uh, kill Mike Pence, was being, uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, uttered. And that uh, I think the Times had quote um, from a source saying that, you know, maybe this is the right response to Pence if he fails to do the right thing. Yeah. So, you know, basically, I mean, I think the pieces are there. We know that he was actively involved in this insurrection, but what it's going to be up to the committee to do is to pull these things together. And if we don't have tapes, we have photos. I know, uh, I think that we'll see of what he was doing during the time. And then the emails, uh, the text messages, Uh, Also, let's not forget the strange involvement of uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, who's uh, evidently been emailing Meadows up to this point, urging insurrection. Is there anything about Thomas himself, any commitment that she's making that the court will back up uh, this coup? I mean, that's what's so frightening about the moment and why it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, wacky people with a weird theory. It was somebody who had the Year of the president of the United States and you had at least some members of the Supreme Court, I think, you know, not in the circumstance that happened because it failed. But but, uh, you know, if the vote would have actually been stopped, let's say, and on the ground, uh, we were in a moment in which some of this plan came to fruition. uh, Maybe the court wouldn't have had the approach to these cases uh, that it's that it actually took. Maybe it would have there might have been five votes to go along with it. Uh, let's well, not forget, Bush versus Gore was a successful, to my mind, a judicial coup. Yeah, uh, really usurping the right of the people to have these votes counted in Florida, and uh, you know that there, were, there was not a legally sound principle. I think for what happened there, it was largely bullshit. I told this story about Justice Scalia. I'm asking my asking him not long after it happened, and he basically admitted that the supposed rationale the court used was just, you know, cobbled together and not something that he sincerely believed in. And, you know, th- that to me is, is part of this. Two branches of government uh, and certainly many members of the third branch of Congress itself working together to undermine an election. You're right. Uh, uh, that, that's what we're going to find out about all levels of here. government, the degree to which they're involved.
0: I mean, the the GOP is going to be betting on the fact that voters have January 6th fatigue. That's what a GOP House leadership aide told Politico today, that people have January 6th fatigue. I I kind of feel like uh, the people who don't want to hear it aren't going to hear it. People who do care will care. And everyone in the middle, which is the majority, is going to hear more than the GOP wants them to hear. I, I do believe it's important they do it, not just to help turn out the vote, but also because we're witnessing the Republicans trying so hard to steal an election, right in 2024, right. we have right. to make all the noise we we can make. Um, I, I I do want to shift. If I could, uh, sure. Wall Street Journal, which is a liberal rag, they have a, a new polling <laughs> out on Roe v. Wade uh, as we await this draft opinion to become the official opinion. And there's some interesting numbers in it. In the Wall Street Journal polls, 68 percent said they wouldn't like to see the court completely overturn Roe. Only 30% said they support that ban Um, on banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. 34% were in support of it. 43% oppose it. And 57% of respondents said a woman should be able to obtain a legal abortion if she wants it for any reason. That's the highest share since they began asking the question every few years starting in 1977. So with that in mind, we're now about to face a post-roe america and this ruling sir is going to be deeply unpopular
4: it is and you know i think the gop isn't quite prepared for what they're bringing on they're they're essentially imposing minority rule on the country through the supreme court now the court has always been controversial in its power to strike down laws to make the final decision about constitutionality and I think that you know, with 30% of the people supporting this, the court on this, this issue, um, that institution is in trouble. I think that the arguments about packing the court that seemed so controversial, even a couple of years ago, seem common sense. That you have justices that are really trying to impose the beliefs of a very small minority of this country on everyone. And uh, they're doing it in one breath, taking away the fundamental right to privacy that so many Americans value and imposing a right that is so deeply unpopular, especially yeah. in the wake of these tragic events, the, the, the gun ownership, uh, the supposed Second Amendment right to individual gun ownership. Uh, you know, the court itself has really inserted itself in such a fundamental way in American politics in the most political way. And uh, that's got to be part of what we're talking about. What is, who are these people? Why do they have the right to do what they've done, and frankly, haven't they undermined the legitimacy of their role as the supposed final interpretation interpreter of the Constitution when they bungled it so badly? And we've got yeah. to fight back, not just against Trumpism, but against its its legacy at this point. I mean, assuming that we're successful in blocking him from winning again, uh, its real legacy aside from the uh, members, the goofball members of Congress that you've mentioned. Uh, more serious legacy is this court and uh, it's doing the bidding of of someone who what I mean tried to truly undermine the Constitution and they're doing it in more incremental ways but that that add up to a a huge effect
0: and of course it's going to be incremental because they you know Trump said many times it'll only be illegal in some states it'll go back to the states it's more American (laughs) that way but you know darn well that abortion foes are going to be flooding into the blue states to try and shut down more clinics. They're not going to be content with only depriving women of this right in some red states. How do you see the legal struggle playing out in the next few years to protect clinic access and to protect the free speech rights of protesters at the same time?
5: It's in
4: some ways a a more minor issue than than Roe and the reversal of Roe, but it it is the next frontier. And I was uh, happy to uh, testify to the Westchester Legislature Uh, yesterday about how to do this, how to do clinic access. It's so urgent because uh, foes of abortion, exactly as you say, they're not going to stop with litigation or debates in state houses. They are going to try to shut down abortion on the ground where it still exists using any means necessary. And there was a trespass incident, a kind of takeover of a clinic in Westchester that, that prompted that discussion. Now, we also, and this relates to the big theme that that we've been talking about today, have to be leery of a Supreme Court that is going to try to use the cudgel of free speech in order to undermine clinic access. That is really their agenda. And how are they going to try to do it? They're going to look for what, to my mind, are sensible ways of protecting women entering clinics that have nothing to do with free speech and claim that these laws are an attempt to shut down uh, anti-abortion speech. Now, I think, as I said to the West, Westchester legislature, and I'll say, too, to anyone around the country working on this, it's crucial in drafting the laws, in in writing the language, uh, that you not <laughs> even remotely appear to be shutting down free speech. And the way to do that is to make it explicitly about uh, non-content-based, non-viewpoint-based, non-opinion-based, mm-hmm. Regulations that are about protecting the people who want to go and get medical care to enter a facility and uh, that 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 seems like an easy thing to do it, it requires a little bit of technical expertise in the drafting, but that's what we've all got to be conscious of and to be ready for the next frontier because Roe will be reversed and they're going to look for ways uh, the court I, I think you know without without good faith, frankly, to yeah. to try to undermine the abortion right in other ways. And the, the, the fake use of free speech uh, might be one way that they'll do that.
0: Professor, I am dreading the overturning of Roe, even though, as you say, it's a foregone conclusion. I, I do look forward to having you here with us to make sense of it as uh, the weeks progress. And, of course, I'm really looking forward to your thoughts and commentary on the upcoming January 6th hearings. What is the best way for our listeners to keep up with your work, Professor Brunchliner?
4: Uh, on, the, on Twitter, at Brett Schneider C. Um, and uh, as, as you said in the beginning, I think especially now, as we're facing this, uh, this hearing, uh, buy a copy of the oath in the office and see what our Constitution is about, see what the presidency should be about, uh, and see how Donald Trump really did everything in his power to undermine it and his allies continue to do so. Yeah, I'm right.
0: Thank you so much for being here. It's a great pleasure, Corey. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. let me go to chris in oakland thanks for your patience chris you've been on hold forever
5: yeah i'm well i'm, I'm listening to the show so it's it's easy peasy
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on what's on your mind
5: oh hey, you john i'm sorry that's yeah, yeah that is yeah this
0: enough. is this is the yeah oh, we're out of time though chris i'm so sorry thanks for what no go ahead make your
5: be- oh yeah. no no <laughs> That's hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had you on speakerphone so I thought you were the screener just checking back in. Um yeah, I, I thank you so much for picking up and um a couple a couple uh quick rants and then uh finish on a lighter note. All right. Uh rant number 1. Uh about this idea of arming school teachers. So, um my wife and I have a uh, 12-year-old twins and shortly after they go back to school this fall, we will probably get will more than likely get a letter from their teacher practically begging us to make donations of school supplies pencils paper you know scissors glue all that stuff so that because not only are these wonderful teachers that teach our kids woefully underpaid but they're also given minimal bare minimal resources with which to do their job that's true that's true but somehow somehow we're supposed to equip each one of them with a you know $500 $500 Glock when they can't even exactly. give them paper and scissors. And exactly. so I think that, that's the absurdity of that argument. Now, um, regarding, and, and this is for the next right wing troll that takes occasion to call you up and complain that it's not an assault weapon, John. What's <laughs> okay, an assault weapon?
0: Yeah, what does right-wing AR stand for? <laughs> Go ahead.
5: Right. So this is what I learned in basic training 30 some years ago. A 5.56 millimeter, 150 grain. Copper jacketed round exiting a barrel at thirty six hundred feet per second, driven by a chamber pressure of approximately fifty five thousand psi, from a weapon that the, that can be fired as rapidly as the user can use the trigger can pull the trigger. Right. These are the meaningful. These are the meaningful stats of this weapon. It's not the configuration of the weapon itself, other than the rapid fire capability. It's the round. It's the velocity of yes. the round. It's the way the weapon's designed, the way the round's designed.
0: It's the, what rips the, flesh the only to
5: The only appreciable difference between the ones that these monsters used to kill these little kids and the one that my son carried when he was deployed to Western Afghanistan with the 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines, is the fact that the one that my son carried could fire in three-round bursts. That's it. Okay. That's yeah. it. You can equip it with all the same stuff. Uh, now to finish on a later note. <laughs> okay, please. I want to yeah. give you props. I want to give you props for being one of the best dads ever for
0: uh, oh, taking your
5: you. son to McCartney, even if he doesn't really oh, appreciate it now. And I, uh, yeah,
0: I, I am hoping he I hope he doesn't want to leave in the third song. He's not a big fan of loud noises, but we're we're gonna you know cock up his ears and hope it's okay. But thank you.
5: Well, in the interest of, of in the interest of. Uh, campaigning for your and my status as ultimate wingman as dads, I
3: please. got mine.
5: Uh, I got mine racing go karts, and he's playing the sacks at twelve. So, I think <laughs> he should. Play, he'll probably do okay in college as well. So, uh, you know, very social nice. in the social area. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank I'm you so much. Thank you, Chris. And, uh, no, please. Thank for you. My don't, be, don't be a
0: stranger. Call us more often.